We should have worked this out. <laughs> we should have thought this through. Sure. Okay. okay. So uh, Kurt asked me to share a little story. I was just telling him something cool that God had done. And he said, then, then he made me sorry for sharing because he said I had to get up and share it with all of you. But I love you guys. So I'm happy to share it with you. So in uh, Lake Sam Kids, we call that LSK for short, in case you've been wondering, we've been doing a series about escape. We started with an escape room that our team built for Easter Sunday and talked about how Jesus escaped uh, the tomb and death so that then every week we learned about something else that he died so we can escape. Our sin, the punishment of our sin, uh, sickness, fear, all of those kinds of things. And so we've been studying that for the last month with our uh, elementary age kids. And a couple weeks ago, during our 456 time, which is our Wednesday night program for fourth, fifth, and sixth graders, we took some time to pray specifically for healing and freedom. And it just seemed that night that there were lots of moms who needed it. So several of you in this room, even if your kids weren't there that night, we prayed for you. And it was all about moms. My mom has been struggling with some things. There were just lots of moms who needed healing or needed a touch from Jesus. And um, Rebecca Lee, there she is in the back, and Mark, and I communicate while they're gone via WhatsApp. And Rebecca had just that day sent me a message saying, please be praying. Mark and I are going to Singapore. Our moms are both elderly and we're not sure, you know, it's a, an important time for us to be able to be with them. And in our conversation, we were chatting and I asked if their moms know Jesus. And Rebecca said specifically that her mom did not know Jesus. So at 456, when we broke up into our prayer groups, Aviella Morris, who's very sad she can't be here today because she wanted to help tell the story. But Avi and I just felt really impressed to pray specifically for Rebecca's mom. So we were praying for lots of moms, but also specifically for Rebecca's mom that she would get to come to know Jesus. That night when I got home, the Lord impressed me to pray again. And this time he said specifically, pray that Rebecca not only would have the gift, that her mom would not only have the gift of salvation, but that he would give Rebecca the specific gift of being able to lead her mom to Jesus. And I just felt that intense urge to pray. So I spent some time praying that night, specifically that her mom would know Jesus, and Rebecca would get to have that precious gift of leading her mom to Jesus. And so I wanted to just share with you what was on my WhatsApp in the morning when I woke up. From Rebecca, great news to share. My mom accepted Jesus into her heart today. I had the privilege to lead her to the Lord. She prayed with me in Cantonese. I trusted God to give me the words. Then later I asked the chaplain in her nursing home to pray again to be doubly sure my mom was covered. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So isn't that exciting? Yeah. It's just cool. It was a precious thing for, for, uh, that God wanted to do in Rebecca's heart, and so he just challenged me to line up with what he was already planning. And Mark and Rebecca just got back from Singapore, so if you get a chance, she can tell you more of the story later today. Test, test, test. There you go. All right. Uh, so the, the reason why I asked her to share that testimony is, of course, because we're in a season right now. And the season that we're in is that the Lord is asking us to be bold, to operate in his anointing, to let his Holy Spirit come upon us so that he can do whatever he wants through us in order to reach people. That's where we are. And here's a story of that happening in this church as people are getting, are praying for each other and so on. And when you hear this sermon, and I did not, this was not 
orchestrated. Again, it's how God does things. But you will hear that whole, this whole principle of praying for other people to have that boldness, that anointing, that trust of the Lord to allow him to use them however he wants. So I want to say that last week, what we looked at as we've been looking at different parts of what keeps us from reaching out and doing that kind of thing, it keeps us from just operating in the fullness that God intends us to operate in. The thing that we noted last week was, is that our failures, we looked at Peter and the three times that he denied Jesus that night, but we looked at the fact that our failures do not, not only not disqualify us somehow or cause us to take a back seat, but that what actually is happening is God uses those failures to equip you, to bring you into a deeper place so that you can minister more effectively and fully and richly to the thing that God is calling you to do. God called Peter to be an elder of the disciples. Until he failed, he hadn't reached his full potential. When he failed, he became compassionate. He became humble. Still had the zeal, but he became much more balanced in the fullness of who he was supposed to be in order to do the things that God was calling him to do in the fullness that God was calling him to do it in all of the nuances and all the different ways. You see this? So this is what we learned last week. Now, this is critically important to remember, particularly for this week, because essentially this is one side of the coin. The first reason why we have to remember that is, of course, because remember, as we said last week, there's something about when you fail. You can sit here in this seat and go, that's right, God uses my failure. But after you failed, what does it feel like? It doesn't feel that way, does it? The theology goes out the window and your feeling starts to take control. And this is what we call a bad feedback loop, okay? You got a bad feedback mechanism happening here. So you've got to keep the truth that overcomes the deception that Satan's trying to bring to tear you down. See it? You've got to hold on to that. And that's going to be all the more important to hold on to it today because, we're, like I say, this idea that we fail is one side of the coin. Another side of the same coin is, wouldn't it be nice to live life never failing? Wouldn't that be nice? And I mean on a personal level. I mean personal sin. But I also mean on these things that you do reaching out for him, that you would never fall short of what God was calling you to, of what you were hoping would happen, of all of the things that God intended to do in that moment, that you'd be able to walk away from every moment of reaching out to anybody saying God moved and seeing things like mom getting saved. Wouldn't that be nice? This is the, th the question we're asking. How do we get it right evermore? Not looking for perfection, but we are looking for progress, right? We are looking to get better. And here's why that's important. <laughs> it's just this funny thing. There's just, oh, you know, Satan has this way of twisting, you know, right? You may eat, may eat of no tree in the garden. Oh, no, we can eat of every tree in the garden, but we can't eat of that one because if we do, we're going to die and we can't even touch it and so on. Satan just has a way of twisting everything. And Satan does this. He did it right back in the beginning too, by the way. Satan has this way of twisting grace. That when you really come to understand grace, when you really understand how full grace is, when you really understand that grace actually becomes God doing things like taking your failure and using it to equip you much more than you ever would have been if you hadn't failed. 
This resurrection reality that's in the kingdom, right? The worst thing that could ever happen is that God's own creation would kill God. How do you get something worse than that? And yet it turns out, thank God, that happened because when it did, it saved all of us that would believe in what happened. See that? So God has this way of working on that. But the problem is, is that Satan, it's happened to Paul, right, in Romans. Satan has this way of twisting grace because people would come to Paul and say, you know, the way you're teaching grace, what it means is we should sin more so that grace can abound more. And Paul is saying, how stupid. <laughs> That's just ridiculous. That's twisting my words, as Peter said last week about Paul's writing. That's twisting what I'm saying to get it to say something different than what's intended. Just because God can take your failure and do amazing things with it doesn't mean that he doesn't care about you getting it right. And I would have to say, if you sort of average the American Christian, there's lots of people that feel condemned all the time and other people that never feel condemned, but the bottom line is, if you averaged the American Christian, what you would find is, I want to use the word appalling, but I don't think that that's actually accurate. A disturbing lack of care about sin. About getting it wrong. We really, when you really come to know grace, Satan can twist it to make you not really care that much about sin. So you can't forget the one thing but you can't forget the other one either. You have to live in the tension of a God who has a life where you're getting it right evermore. And he's still using every failure in glorious ways. This is important. I can't wait till we get to where we're going. Who's our prayer today? Michael Weber. Oh, that is wonderful. Praise God. Where are you, Michael? Where? Oh, there you are. Um, this is, okay, so... This is why you want to get to know Michael. This is a guy, yeah, I know, you don't want me to say anything. I don't care, I love you, okay? Uh, this is a guy who presses into the Lord in a unique way. In everything that he does in his life, he cares about how God feels, about how he's doing in it, what he's doing. He, this is a guy who's living an intentional life. He's trying we have conversations all the time about various things that he's working through. And I love his walk. And you're the perfect person to pray for this particular sermon because of the way that we're talking about it. Because this is much of our discussions. So with that, love you, Michael. Would you pray for the sermon? Lift up another church too. Heavenly Father, um, thank you that we're all gathered here. Um, the sun is shining. Um, I just ask that you... Still our hearts and minds to receive your message through Kurt, um, that you give him the strength and boldness to deliver it, um, and that it speak to us um, what you need to speak to us. Um, I also want to lift up Renton Christian Center um, as they kind of discuss retirement of the old guard and what the new generation will bring, that you be with them Amen. on that journey. Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. All right. We are at the end of the Last Supper now. It's night. It's within a few hours, Jesus will be arrested. 
In a few more hours, he will be tried. In less than 24 hours, he'll be dead. This is what's happening. These words that we're talking about today are the last words that Jesus will ever say to his whole group of disciples, as recorded in Luke. Do you think that might be important? <laughs> Remember what we talked about, because what we talked about last week and this week are one part of one consideration. There was who's going to be the greatest, and then Peter comes up, and, and Satan's going to sift you, Peter, and Peter's saying, I'll never do anything wrong, and he says, before the cock crows, before morning, you're going to deny me three times. So that's what we looked at last week. And these two things now, the one that we're doing today, the passage we're doing today, but also some of that passage are both in play because it was one thing. So I want to start with the scripture that we started with last week and didn't go into because I saved was, I knew the Lord had me doing it for this week. So let me show you. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. Now, this is ESV. Sometimes I'll use NLT or the message or something, which are a little looser in their translation. They're translating the thought and the feeling. But ESV, if you really want to get what are the words, ESV is probably the best one out there right now. Okay? I kind of like Holman Christian better. I like how they say things. And I think it's as accurate. But ESV is the sort of agreed to standard on, if you want to know what the word means, this is what it means. Okay, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. If I heard this, somebody said that about me, well, how would you react? Say what? <laughs> Satan, huh? <laughs> Sift? What? I mean, seriously, right? If, if, you, if Jesus told you that Satan demanded to sift you, the first question would be, that's a thing? <laughs> right? And it would freak you, wouldn't it? Wouldn't it do something in you to make you kind of have to stop and take a moment, take a breath and try and understand what that meant? What does sifting mean? Particularly in this context, what does sifting wheat mean? It means that there's various parts to the husk. You know, there's the husk and then there's the kernel and then there's the this. And there's the, you, what you got to do is you got to separate those things so that certain things come to the fore. Now, when you're sifting wheat, what you're looking to come to the fore is good stuff. But Satan isn't looking for good stuff. Satan is trying to sift Peter, and he's saying, look, when you look at the whole package of Peter, it looks pretty good. But I'm telling you, if you let me sift him, I can bring to the top some things about Peter which are not good. Why would God let that happen? What is going on here? Does this remind anybody of another passage in Scripture, by any chance? Job right? So it, it goes just like this. Then the Lord asks Satan, now look who provoked the question. Have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. Now God himself said he is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yeah, sure. Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him, his home and his property. You made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him. 
do whatever you want with everything you possesses. And of course, we're going to then see him come back again. And he's going to go after his family. And he's going to come back again. And he's going to touch his health. Right? To where he's on an ash heap by the time we get into the meat of the story. Now, this is that. And remember something about Job. First sermon I ever preached here. And the reason why is because it's the earliest sermon the earliest book written in all the Bible. It's the book where God is laying down a principle. We've talked about the principle a lot. I'm not going into it in any depth right now, but I do want to say something. Note that Satan cannot do whatever he's doing to you unless God gives him permission. You can ask the question, therefore, why would you ever give him permission? <laughs> That's just mean. <laughs> Well, what if it isn't just mean? What if God sees a person who's blameless and he loves? And he says, watch what I can do with this person as I refine him. Right? This happened to Joseph. And Joseph said to his brothers, but we can take this in the same direction to say what Satan is trying to do and what God's allowing him to do. See, Satan intended to harm me, or you, the brothers, intended to harm me. But God what? God worked it out for good? That's a very different word than intended. Satan intended to harm you, but God allowed it to happen because he intended to do something else. You see it? And just because we're in this series about reaching out and being bold and, and letting God do things through you and so on. Can we just take it one more step so that he could save the lives of many people? What was the point of God's refining? Is it just to make us all sparkly clean personally? Is that the point? His blood covers our sin. Let's be clear. He doesn't need us to be perfect. He knew that we weren't and he died for us washed us clean. In him, made us new, we are perfect. So what's he doing when he allows something to happen? What's he doing? What's the point of it? It's not to make you a better person. It's to make you a better witness. It's to make you a more effective minister. The reason why he leaves us here on earth is because there's other people that don't know him. That's why we're here. Otherwise, after you get saved and get born again, go to heaven. Right? Be done with it. Why are you here? Is it so that you get more and more holier than thou? Well, Peter learned it the opposite way, right? It was to learn that I'm less holy than anybody else. And that's what made him an effective elder to the rest of the disciples. God's economy is unbelievable. It's unbelievable what makes sense to us. And then he flips it on its head and we hear it and we go, well, that's just such a better idea. That's just such a better way to go about it. But the point is, is why is he letting, letting people be sifted? Why is he letting this happen to you? You need to understand. It's to make you so that you're more effective at the things that he's asking you to do because he loves these people that don't know him. And you're his plan to reach them.
So back to this, behold, Satan demanded to have you that it might sift you. We could say something like this. Okay, I get Peter and I get Job and so on, but who am I? Well, it turns out that the you there is actually in a form that could be translated in the plural. It works both ways. So it would be saying, Satan demanded to have each of us, <laughs> all of us. Now, we understand from the context that it's to locate to Peter. But do understand that Jesus doesn't make a word slip like that for no reason. He means it to apply. He's showing us what's going on through Peter, but it applies to all. You get it? Now, having said that, is Satan sifting you part of how you think about your life? I think a lot of us think sometimes I'm under attack or poor me and woe is me and, you know, good grief, right? I think a lot of us think that quite regularly, but I don't think we think this. I don't think that we think about the fact that at any moment in time, any one of us could be sifted and the thing that would rise to the top would be something that would horrify even us because we look at it in the big picture and we say, I know I got my problems, but, but God's a refiner and he's doing something incredible. He's getting rid of all the buts. Do you think about that as part of your life? Is this in your life? I want to say it this way. The last thing that he's telling them has to do with how to win. How to get over on it. How to be victorious. He said to them, when I sent you out with no money bag or knapsack or sandals, did you lack anything? I, say, I told you don't take anything out when he sent them out two by two. Don't take anything with you. Now, did you lack anything? What was the answer? Nah, perfectly taken care of. So now here's what Jesus is saying by saying that. He's saying, well then, you can trust me, right? Now he's not saying that for nothing. Because here's what he's about to say. Right now, but now, let the one who has a money bag. See, before he said, don't take anything, I'll, it'll all be okay. And he wanted us to learn how to trust him. But here's what he's saying now. Take a money bag. Likewise, a knapsack. Here's the thing. Find me anywhere else in all of Scripture Jesus says anything like this. And let the one who has a sword sell his cloak to buy one. Who has no sword, sell his cloak to buy one. Sell your clothing to buy a sword. Wow. What the heck? Isn't he the one that's been saying, my kingdom is not of this world? Isn't he the one that's been saying, he says it to, he's going to say it in a few hours to Pontius and to Herod and everybody else, that my kingdom is not of this world, blah, 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 everything else that's about something else, more deeper kingdom that's coming, blah, all this stuff. Why is he saying buy a sword? Do remember, who would it be who would strike off the ear of the guard? Who would it be? Okay. So, and then one of them, Peter, struck at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. So, oh, I get it. So Jesus is saying, now that he's over with his stuff, go to war. We're going to go to battle. Well, no, because the next thing he does is, is Jesus said, no more of this. Stop. <laughs> Don't do that. He who lives by the sword is going to die by the sword. That's what another account has him saying. But then he touched the man's ear and healed him. <laughs> right? He's clearly not saying take up arms. 
Well, if that's the case, then why is he making such ominous statements? What's he doing here? This is the last time that he's talking with them, and he is essentially grabbing them by the shoulders and shaking them, trying to get them to understand that tonight everything changes. Everything you knew, everything you thought, everything you hoped for, everything changes right now. In a couple of hours, your reality is going to be completely different than anything you thought. And he's trying to get them ready for it. You see that? He's using this inflammatory language to try and get them to step up. Look, for the better, of course, because when Jesus dies and salvation comes to the world and we're made new, that's better. But very much for the worse because, do you remember, all of the 11 and then, or the 12, and then there's 11 of those 11, and including the plus one, all 12 or 11 of the 12 will die because of the gospel. Is that what you thought they were signing up for? Did you think they had that in their minds? I'm going to follow Jesus so that I can be put between four horses that are going different directions because that's how one of them died. Hmm. What is going on here? What's he trying to get to? What's he trying to shake them awake to? This is a new thing and it's important and you need to step up and you need to fight. But the way that you fight is are the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. They're not swords. They're not battles. They're not wars between kings. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. What's that mean? We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, against evil spirits in heavenly places. Satan standing there accusing you before the Lord. See it? This is what he's asking us to do. Now again, remember something. The reason why he's saying to do this is because, therefore put on every piece of God's armor. This is what we're doing today. We're trying to put on a piece of God's armor. Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Let me be very clear. What's the evil that, that he's going to face in a couple of hours? The same one that Peter faces. Peter faces a moment, doesn't he? In a few hours. Don't you know him? You're with him. No, I'm not. No, 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 surely you were. We hear your accent. Of course you were. Three times. If you go through the account of Jesus, he has three opportunities to do it too. <laughs> and he doesn't. Whereas Peter intended to do the right thing, but failed in the moment, Jesus did the right thing in each moment. He got it right. So we're going after, well, how do we get it right? I tell you, the scripture must be fulfilled in me. He was numbered with the transgressor. See, he's telling them, look, I'm telling you, this is going to turn out very badly. You're going to see me killed. You're going to see me treated as a criminal. And then they're going to come after you. Within, within a couple of weeks, one of the people from the disciples is going to be martyred. So this is real. This is happening. 
And he's saying, look, the scripture must be fulfilled. He was numbered with the transgressors for, that's what, for, that, for what is written about me has its fulfillment. Now, I want you to take something here. I really think that there's a principle that the Lord has been bringing to my heart at a new level in a new way. And it's this. How did Jesus know what was going to happen to him and so that he could stand on it in surety? How did he know that? We think... We think the Holy Spirit talked. No, here's what we really think. Well, he's God. He knows everything. But you got to remember, he emptied himself of all of that. So if he was doing it purely as a man to show us how to succeed, how did he do that? And then we go to all the Holy Spirit. See, he revealed everything to him, told him everything that was going on all the time. By the way, if he did that, we can do that too. And he did that, so we can do that too. But there is another layer on this thing a layer that's critically important. Jesus read the word and knew that it was about him. And so he lived his life accordingly. He knew what was going to happen to him. Let me, let me propose to you something. Try it. What if the Holy Spirit never said a word to Jesus about what it was going to happen to him, ever? Jesus would still know and do everything that he did. Why? Because he saw what was written about what he was to do and what he was going to do and what it was all about. You see it? The Word. The Word. The living Word. The Word in our hearts. In us. I don't think we know how to stand on the Word. I think one of the things he's trying to get us to do is to understand, oh, well, Jesus could do it because it was clearly about him. There's lots of stuff that's clearly about you, us. Are we in the word in a way where we can get this? I love devotionals. Do your devotionals. Just don't do them excluding the word. Well, my devotional has a scripture in it. It's going to take you about 2,000 years to get through the Bible a scripture at a time. Let me suggest to you that maybe reading the word and a devotional if you still want to do devotional, but I would suggest so because I like just making the word itself become a devotional to you as the Holy Spirit would lead. And he will quicken to you what's for you. And then we need to stand on it. When he starts talking to us about what the word is saying and what it's saying about us, we need to stand on it. When I say that we will stand before the Lord and be held accountable to the word, that we're giving, that was a word that the Holy Spirit gave me to give to you about the words that we're speaking in this series, in this time about reaching out, that we're going to be held accountable to reaching out. When I say that, I say that because the Holy Spirit quickened it to me. But you know what makes me confident to say that? Because the scripture tells me that that's what will happen. Now, is that about this series? No. But I get what we're doing in this series, and I get what God's doing in this series, and I get that that word is about this too. See it? Okay. So then he goes on and he says, look, look, here are two swords. They say, here's two swords. He says to him, it's enough. Don't you understand? It's not about the sword. <laughs> I wasn't trying to say about swords. <laughs> I wasn't trying to make you an army. That's what you think. Overcome the Roman army by battle. But that's not what I'm doing. I'm trying to get you to get the same sort of battle readiness, battle footing in a way that isn't the way the world does it. And that's it. 
and then they leave, and they go to the Mount of Olives where the disciples follow him. Now, here's the question right here, okay? We started off by saying, how do we get it right evermore? And I would say that the next question is obvious. Does anybody else, does anybody know what it might be? Want to take a guess? If the, if the question for us is, how do we get it right evermore? We want to learn that. What should we look at? How did Jesus get it right? Right? Pretty simple. Well, how did he get it right? Real simple. He went on a little further. This is right there. And he goes to the Mount of Olives and he does this. This is how he got it right. He went on a little further and bowed with his face to the ground praying. Now listen to what he prays very carefully. My father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. You see what he wants? God, don't make me go to the cross. Don't make me be separated from you. If it's possible, take this cup from me. But yet I want, what your, your, I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he rebukes Peter. We're coming back to that. A second time he goes and prays, my father. Now look at the progression here. If this cup cannot be taken away unless I drink it, your will be done. And then a third time, saying the same thing. I think there's a key to prayer that is super important for everybody. Always remember. We think that prayer is trying to convince God to do something. Prayer is really about convincing us to do it God's way. Prayer isn't changing God. It's changing us. When we pray, we need to pray until we've got God's heart. And we've got God's heart to the point that when the woman says, aren't you one of them? You say, yes. <laughs> no matter what it might mean. You see it? Now that, of course, is what Jesus did. What did Jesus do to get it right evermore? In his flesh, as a man, as a person, what did he do? He prayed. Why did Jesus need to pray? He didn't sin. He like gets it all the time. Why would he need to pray? Well, there's many ways of answering this question. They all boil down to pretty much this thing, but watch this, okay? Watch. At the very beginning of his ministry, this is John 2, Jesus would not entrust himself to anyone for he knew what was in us. He didn't entrust himself. He didn't count on our witness. He didn't count on our praise. He didn't count on anything. He didn't entrust himself to us. He didn't get who he was from us. And the reason why is because he knew what was in us. And what's in us? We really do truly mean to do well, right? Peter, you really think he's got it. Jesus had to deal with his flesh. Jesus was a man. He was a human being. He had a will. We saw it in the garden. I want this cup to pass from me. That's my will. I need you to come. Lord, I need you to strengthen me. I need, you, I need to change my own mind until I want what God wants more than I want what I want. Not only that, until I want what God wants so much that no matter what happens, always remember something. It's not our actions that are hardest. It's our reactions. Where did Peter fail? 
His intentions were perfect. But his reaction showed that thing that had been sifted to the top. That he wasn't there. But when Jesus was faced with that, it was there. But it wasn't there all the time. He had to get there. He prayed more fervently. He was in such agony of spirit. About what? About trying to change God's mind? No, about changing his own. <laughs> he was in such agony of spirit that his sweat fell to the ground like great drops of blood. Wow. So then what must we do to get it right every more? <laughs> Answer should be like super obvious at this point in time, but let's go ahead and walk through it the way it happens and unfolds. When he came to the place, they'd left the Last Supper, they came to the Mount of Olives. Now he says to all the disciples, what does he say to them first? Pray. Why? So that you won't enter into temptation, so that you won't get it wrong, so that you won't screw it up, so you won't react wrong. Now, he takes three of them, Peter, James, and John, and he becomes anguished and distressed, and he tells them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. What does that word watch mean? What's it mean? Yes, in all that stay awake means. It means be woke. Right? Every time I use any young expression, I get made fun of mercilessly by the staff. Like, I've been using redick, and they've said, redick makes you seem old, because it's an old word. And they crushed, they got after me about using the word redick. And I like the word redick. I think it works really great. But they're like, nah, it just makes you seem older, because A, it's out of date, and B, it's an old man saying it. You just can't do that stuff. So anyway, watch. What's it mean? Look around. Something's happening. Look for it. He's been told he's going, to get, he's going to deny Christ three times. Don't you think that would have been in his mind? It was just minutes ago. <laughs> he's been told that he's going to deny him three times. You'd think he'd be looking out for what that means. What is, this, what, what is this about, Lord? What would you be doing? When you're watching for something in the Spirit, what are you doing? Praying. <laughs> Lord, what's going on here? What does this mean? What am I supposed to do about it? And then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. <laughs> and he said to who? He, the, the three of them. The three of them were all asleep. But who's he pick out? Why? Because he's told him he's going to deny him. And he's saying, of all of you, why don't Peter, why don't you get this? He said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray. See, there's the coupling of it. So that you will not give in to temptation. Look, your spirit is willing. Was it in Peter's case? Always. But what about his flesh? It's weak. Do you think if Peter had really known what was going to happen in just the next few hours, do you think if he knew that the most painful thing he would ever do in his life 
was about to happen in a couple of hours. Do you think that he might have picked up this challenge by Jesus and actually prayed? He didn't, of course. Jesus goes off and prays again and they fall asleep again. <laughs> Do you think if you really knew the incredibly painful failures that were coming after you, I prayed about that word after. I looked for the right word and felt like the Lord said, this is the right word. There are failures that are coming after you. Satan is sifting you, trying to bubble to the top a weakness, a thing at which you are vulnerable. And he is trying to bring you into the most painful things that will ever happen in your life. If you knew that that was happening, would you pick up this challenge to actually pray? Can I say something? I'm going to be totally honest now. I don't think so. Jesus told Peter that he was going to deny him three times. So he knew that was going to happen before the evening was out. <laughs> it wasn't like you're going to deny me three times and it might be 10 years from now. You're going to deny me three times before morning. <laughs> and what did he do? And who's Peter? He's the everyman. He's the one that we all are like. He's the one that you better recognize that you're like. Because if you don't, it makes you even more able to be tempted, able to fail. When you realize that you really could fail, my name is Kurt and I'm an alcoholic. When you realize that you're an alcoholic, you watch more carefully. My name is Kurt and I had a problem with drinking, but you know, I'm good now. Well, you're just right picking. What does it say to you that Jesus spent so much time praying in the garden right before the most difficult and tempting moment of his life? Praying so hard that his sweat became as drops of blood. What does it say to you that Jesus did that? Knowing what was to come, this is what Jesus did to overcome it. So that when he had his moments to deny, he wouldn't take them. If he had to pray that hard to get to where he would not fail, how hard do you think you and I have to pray? Because <laughs> here's the difference between Jesus and us. Jesus is pretty pure to begin with. <laughs> and if he had to pray that hard to get past what relatively minor will was left, self was left, how about us who make all these self decisions almost every minute of every day of our lives? <laughs> how hard do we got to pray? We do not know what is coming, and we are not aware of how badly we can fail. And there's only one thing that gets us over that hump. Prayer. It's really easy right now to hear my words and be completely convicted and know that they're true. And be saying in your head and your heart, I just don't think I want to start praying 24 hours a day, seven days a week on my knees. I just, 
I think I'm going to have to depend on that grace card. <laughs> I think I'm going to have to depend on, right, not properly calculating the cost, of course, of these incredibly difficult, painful failures. Can I say something? When you know something is true, but you also know enough about yourself to know that you don't want it, what are you supposed to do there? Because I can tell you what you shouldn't do. Don't fake it till you make it. Don't, don't just, I can do this. <laughs> or I'm just going to bury that and I'm just going to... Because what will happen when you do that? That's you trying to finish in the flesh what was begun in the Spirit. And you will fail. When you find yourself at odds with what you know to be true and what you want to do, here's what you do. That's where you pray. Isn't that where Jesus prayed? Hey, I want this, but I don't want my will. Hey, God, I really do want to be the kind of prayer that prays through, as we used to say. We don't even use that word anymore. What did pray through mean? You prayed until you were done. <laughs> what we do now is we pray and then hope. <laughs> Praying through was on your knees in this thing. And it felt like, a, it feels, to, in, in modern Christianity today, it feels like works. The pendulum swings. The pendulum is swung in a way that isn't good. But let's do something here. That became works. It did become works in a lot of people, right? It, boy, I prayed four hours today. It became a thing of pride. Martin Luther, I just love it, right? When I'm so busy and I'm so overwhelmed with what I have to do in a day, I pray four hours instead of two. Because I'm denying the world's voice. I'm denying the world's urgency. I'm denying the world's perspective. I'm denying what the world would put me under. I'm going to stand on the God who delivers I'm going to stand on the God who saves. I'm going to stand on the God who does this. I don't think there's anybody in here that knows how to pray for four hours, and I'm in here. I'm sure there are somebody in here. But can I just say something? When, you have an, when you're at odds between what you know the Lord wants and what you want, that's where you pray. That's what you lift up to him. And then he starts to change it, step by step, moment by moment, bit by bit, piece by piece, line by line, precept upon precept, until after a long time, one day you wake up and you find yourself praying in ways that you never thought were possible for you. And yet they're just normal and natural and real and they're not works, they're life. Because that's what it is. He's not calling us to pain. He's calling us to gain. He's calling us to victory. One last thing that Jesus did to get it right evermore. He asked Peter and James and John to pray for him. What does that sound like in this context of this church? Threefold. If you're not in a threefold, I love you. Please get in a threefold. 
Ask some people, ask some friends. Maybe they're in one, maybe they'll be in another one. I don't know, but ask around. It, always talk to us too, but please don't go to us first. We find it just works so much better when you just reach out to friends and you reach out to people and, and you put it together and you care about it. Here's what'll happen. When we care about something and we go after something that God wants, what does he tend to do? He tends to work it out for you. And I've seen the weirdest pairings on threefolds that I have ever could have imagined. We would have never done those on our own. We would have never thought that they would work, and they're phenomenal. Now, we've seen other ones that didn't work well. Got it. But here's what I'm saying. Get in a threefold. <laughs> Keep going until you get one that's bringing you life. Keep going until you get one that you love. You love them. You love this moment. This is important to you. But get to the place to where somebody will lift your hands. You can't do it by yourself. <laughs> you can't do it in your flesh, but you can't do it by yourself even if it is God. <laughs> Moses, God says, when you raise your hands, you'll win the battle. His arms get tired and they start to fall. So his friends come beside him and they lift up his arms and they continue to win the battle. How much clearer could God make it? How do we get victory? We are not, it's not good that the man is alone. <laughs> I'll make somebody with him. To get what he was doing for God. Why are we doing this? What's this whole sermon about? Is it for you not to ever sin again? No. This is about how do you get to where God can use you in any way that he wants at any time that he wants. To have the boldness in the moment to respond, yes, Lord. Here am I, send me. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to do two parts of prayer right now. Pam, if you can come up and just give us a little something. Look, we're not praying for what we need today, okay? I get that you have needs and everything else. You'd like to pray for them. I, I love you. Put those aside. Here's what we're praying for today for ourselves, individually alone. We're going to pray for one other person here in a moment. But right now, here's what I want you to pray for. To trust him, to be bold, to be anointed. So it's actually God doing it through you so that you actually get to wherever, uh, so to actually do whatever he leads us to do to reach someone else. We know that prayer is the key. So let's take a moment and pray. <laughs> now, we're not going to take four hours, okay? We're going to take a couple of minutes. But you know, we're not just going to be hearers, we're going to be doers. So let's do right now. Take a minute, pray for these things.
Thank you. decrease that you would increase God teach us to trust you you've been teaching us God cause us to rely on that trust more than ourselves our fears our concerns what the world would have to say what decorum says God in Jesus holy and precious name please Let me be bold every time. Let me say yes and amen. Let us say, here am I, send me. And God, in Jesus' holy and precious name, we don't go and don't send us unless you go with us and do this through us. Anoint us, your spirit coming upon to do your work through us. In Jesus' name. Let me be your instrument to do your will no matter what it is, when it is, how it is, where it is. Speak to me. Now I want you to turn just to one other person please move if you're only if you're not with somebody please and those of you who've been around here look around for that person that's alone but one other person and what I want you to do is lift their arms lift their hands pray for them to trust him to be bold to be anointed to be his instrument to do his will no matter what no matter when no matter how
Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. If you could wrap up your prayers, I got one thing we're doing right now. Reach down in front of you and pick up the card. The, there's a welcome card there, and it's normally for guests. But I'm asking you to do something. I think I have a really good godly idea. Wanda, don't faint. <laughs> I think I have a really good idea in the Lord of how to take this moment and extend it in a powerful way to the whole of our body. Watch this. So that we can all pray for one person together, would you let us text you one name each morning? I thought about just doing it weekday mornings, but it'd be kind of fun to have somebody's name come up on Sunday morning and then be at church with them. So maybe we won't do Saturday, I don't know. But I, I kind of like having breaks and things. But the bottom line is, is would you let us text you one, one name that you were praying this for? Not, not for their general health and well-being and so on. You can pray that too if you want. I don't care. But that you're praying for them specifically to be emboldened, to be empowered, to be an instrument of His in any situation at any time. Can you see the whole body praying for one person each day? Do you get it? Doesn't it have a nice feel to it? Doesn't it? Well, if you're gonna do that, and if we're gonna do this, I need you to do something. I need you to pick up that card and write in. You see we're down there? You see our fancy publishing here? See, please send me the daily text. You need to check the box. We need some record that you have approved this so that we can send you this text and that we're not spamming you, okay? So would you please do that? Just, just right there, you gotta put your name in there. You gotta put your phone number in there. By the way, I guess I can adjust it a little bit. If you're an emailer, do this. Put down your email and put down your phone number and circle the one that you'd rather get. If it's a text or an email. If you're an emailer and you'd rather get it that way, we can do that. But I would really love every person in here to be receiving every day, or every day but Saturday as I think where I'm going, Every day but Saturday, they're, they're receiving the name of one person in our body that we're all praying for. To be emboldened, to be his instrument, to be his will. Does that sound good? Does that sound right? It does to me, okay? Now, we're going to be passing the buckets around here in two seconds. Please put those in there. Remind me to say that when I get there, but put these in there, okay? And like I say, you can do it email or phone. Okay? And if you ever get to where you don't want them anymore, you can always opt out or you can, you know, just file the email. Okay? We'll, we'll, we'll put a title on it so that you can run it. Okay? What do you think? The heart is to pray for them to trust him, to be bold, to be anointed, and therefore actually do whatever he would lead us to do to reach someone else. Reach in front of you, would you? Two cups. These cups are to seal the deal or to seal what God has just said to us in our hearts to become one with him in this. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we lift up this cup in which is this body, this life that I've broken because I don't know about prayer. Not really. I pray an hour a day and I don't feel like I know anything. Really. That may scare some people. I probably shouldn't have said that. God will get you there. God will get you to where he wants you to be. In your schedule, in your day, moms, with your kids and all the demands, all of it. 
God will get you there. So in Jesus' name, Lord God, we don't want to be broken in our lives anymore. We don't want to, we don't want to make mistakes for things that we could have prayed through and that we could have been prepared for even if we didn't know what they were. And we would have responded properly like Jesus, not Peter. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, God, we put this, we put a finger in here and break it to acknowledge what we've done. But in Jesus' holy and precious name, we lift it up as we look through this cup to the cross where Jesus stripes, heal me. Where Jesus took all failure, took it upon himself and healed us perfectly. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, we take this cup together to be whole. In him, take together. Thank you, Jesus. And now we lift up this cup in which is the life, the blood, the life. The life that you have for us. It's already there. It's just waiting for us. We want it. And then we take this cup. We're saying it to become one, to become one with you in communion with you as to this will. And if you are here and you do not know the Lord, this is your moment. Lovingly, I'm not going to ask you to raise a hand or do anything embarrassing or anything like that. That's God will lead you to do what you need to do. But I'm asking you, take this cup to receive new life. That's what everybody in here that knows him is doing right now to become the life that he already has for us ever more fully, to get it right ever more. So in Jesus' holy and precious name, thank you, Lord. Take this cup together. Amen. Ushers, thank you for coming forward.